Everyone, my name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I am so glad to see you guys. It is the last Sunday in July in the wettest July in Kentucky history. Uh, it's just been pretty awesome. What a great summer. What a really, really good summer. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, all summer long, I just keep enjoying the beauty of this summer and the way God is blessing our church and my life this summer, but I just keep going back to last summer for me. Um, last summer for me was not a great summer. It was really, really difficult. Most of you know, I would, uh, the whole cancer diagnosis, cancer surgery, it was a, it was a mess. Um, I try not to talk about it all the time. I don't want to be like the old man telling war stories, you know, to everybody who who sits still long enough to listen, um, but I, I don't talk about it as much as I think about it. I, I don't know if I'll ever stop thinking uh, about it, um, but I can't not think about it today with this passage right here, Genesis chapter 22. But for some reason, last year during my, my, my whole cancer thing, um, coming out of surgery and, and in those weeks when I was mostly just home uh, trying to recover, um, I got real tangled up in this passage, in, in these verses right here, and I'm not exactly sure why. Even to this day, I don't know why this passage was the one that, that captured me, because it's a really difficult passage. At a time in my life when, when it seemed like nothing made sense, it's strange that it somehow made sense for me to go to a passage listening for God's voice in a story that honestly doesn't always make a lot of sense. This passage will raise more questions and answers if you really get tangled up in it, and I did. And I want us to as, as well today. It's an important passage for the simple reason that it is a fundamental passage about faith and what it looks like to live a life of faith and what it means to follow a God that is beyond all of your thoughts and, and all of your understanding. Uh, it doesn't always make sense. But, but for me in that moment of my life, and maybe for you in certain moments of your life, the, the real testing of your faith will come with this one question. And it's a simple question. Do I trust God to work in every moment of my life or, or only in the moments it makes sense. Do, do you trust him? Do you trust him in every single moment of your life or only in the moments it makes sense? Because sooner or later, you are going to come into a season of your life where it will not make sense. And that's when your faith will, will be tested. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? So let's read the story. Genesis chapter 22, going to start in verse 1. I, I know you've heard it before. I mean, you know the ram's in the thicket. The ram's in the thicket every time you read it. But, but today, slow down, read this story, and really try to understand that the darkness, the horror, and the anguish of a man who is commanded to raise a knife over the life of his son. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. He chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. 
Okay, I, I said it raises more questions than, than answers, but that's what gets me right there. You remember just a couple of weeks ago, we were reading that whole story where, where God reveals that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham begs God, you know, if, if I can find 50, if I can find 45, 30, 20, if there are 10, I mean, he begs God, he gets up in God's face and begs for the lives of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, but when God says, I want your son, the one you love, silence. No begging, no up in God's face. It's a story that just goes into silent, slow motion. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. He chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. They both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He tied his son, Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yairah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I don't know what to say. <laughs> you understand why I say the passage raises more questions than answers? And, and yet, if you walk very far and very long with God, there's something in you deeply that's going to resonate with this story. It, it, it is a fundamental story of our faith. I, I said last summer through my ordeal with the surgery, this is the passage that, that I just ran to. I, I, I went to this I went to this story. My life had just been turned up, up, upside down by a diagnosis and, and, and mostly by a surgery. And that was the mystery for me. I was never sick. Now, I know every old lady in this church tells me I'm too skinny. I need to eat. But Pastor Tim, you need to eat something. You're getting too skinny. You're just wasting away before our eyes. But I, I was never sick. Never sick at all. I, I never had a single symptom 
And, and so quickly I was diagnosed as being a very sick man and, and very quickly in surgery. It was, a, it was a major surgery and I'm glad I was asleep through it. I, I can't even imagine uh, honestly what was done to my body. All I know is w- w- when I woke up, I thought I was in ICU. I, I had never felt the pain. I'd never felt anything like that. And then the the, the weeks and days afterward, it's, it's still just thinking, what happened to me? I was never sick. So it never really felt like cancer could kill me. But in the end, it felt like the surgery could. You, you understand what I mean? I, I never felt the cancer, but, but the surgery was brutal. I, I mean, just brutal. I, I lost a foot of colon, y'all. You don't just, you know, throw a foot of colon out and then get on with your day. <laughs> The cancer didn't seem to threaten me, but, but the surgery did. So, so these doctors, Dr. Shamir, Dr. Wearson, amazing men who, who saved my life. But, but honestly, there were several weeks there where I wasn't so sure if they had done me a favor or not. Do you understand? Barbara Brown Taylor, an amazing preacher, says this. It's hard to tell whether you're being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether you're being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Now, my life got turned upside down, and I'm looking in the faces right now in in this very room of people whose lives are turned upside down at at this very moment, and you know exactly what this is about. You don't always know if this is going to kill you or save you. And that's the thing about this story. And maybe that's the important part about the way it starts. Verse 1, sometime later the scripture says, God tested Abraham's faith. See, as it turns out, we know what Abraham doesn't know. Abraham does not know this is a test. This is only a test. You understand? For Abraham, all he knows is a command. And he obeys that command, which is just absolutely amazing and mind-blowing and horrifying to me. But we know what he doesn't know. It's a test. It's only a test. There's going to be a ram in the thicket. You and I know that. Abraham doesn't know that. So in this moment of his life, these hands that turn his life upside down, it's really hard to know whether this is going to kill him or save him. He would have no idea in the middle of it. And often in the middle of whatever turns your life upside down, you don't know either. You don't know if this is going to kill you or or save you. Now, the scripture says God tested Abraham's faith. It's the same word, literally the same word. Sometimes we translate it test. Sometimes we translate it tempt. But now, there's a a million dollar of of meaning resting on the way you translate that because testing and temptation aren't exactly the same thing. Now, you've probably always been taught that God doesn't tempt us. And the book of James says God does not tempt us to do evil. So God does not tempt us, but God tests us. What's the difference? When God says, raise a knife and slaughter your son to Abraham, is that, a, is that a temptation to murder or is that a test of faith? And what is the difference? I guess the difference is in the one who's doing the testing. You see, God doesn't tempt you to do evil. In other words, God is not like the devil. The devil will tempt you. But the devil's aim, his goal is to destroy you. The devil's aim is to find your point of weakness and then use that point of weakness to set a trap for you that will cause you to fall. 
to, to cause you to collapse, to cause your faith to collapse. This is always the devil's aim in your life. He's going to set a trap for you that's going to be lure you in by your own desires and, and your weaknesses. And through that weakness, he will cause you to fall. That's temptation. God will not tempt you like that. God's aim, God's goal is never to make you fall. God is not looking for weakness in such a way to, to threaten you and cause you to collapse. So, so when we say that God tests, that's a very different sort of thing. God's goal, God's aim, first off, is not to make you fall, but to make you able to stand. God's testing is intended to make me stronger. God is not looking for weakness. God is looking for strength. And when God finds strength, God will test strength. God will, will cause strength to have to go into operation. It's like working out with weights. You understand? If you never engage the strength, you can't get stronger. So God's testing will engage my strength in such a way to make me stand, to make me able to withstand whatever life brings me. So when it says God's going to test Abraham, understand God's goal here is to make him strong. God's goal here is not to try to pull the rug out from under his feet, but to make Abraham able to withstand everything. So God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Faith starts right here. Faith begins right here. It's Abraham's response. God calls, Abraham listens. God calls, Abraham responds. Yes, here I am. It, it's, a, it's a response of readiness. It's a response of, 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 of attention. Uh, Abraham is always listening to God. So the moment that God calls, Abraham is ready to respond. Yes, here I am. What do you want me to do? It, it's that response of a servant to the master. It's a response of one who's always listening. Yes, he says, here I am. Here I am. Understand, the very beginning of faith is here. Faith demands a full response to God every time he calls. Now, this is not the only time that Abraham will say these words, and not the only time even in this story that Abraham is going to have to respond to God and hear his voice. But you must understand this. There must be a full response every time he calls. A couple of weeks ago, I was out in the church courtyard talking to a, a family in our church. And the family has this little bitty girl. I mean, she's a pistol and she's beautiful. She's a lot of fun. That little girl took off running through that courtyard. And if y'all know the church, at the end of the courtyard is the parking lot where most all of you drive too fast. So the little girl is running through that courtyard and she is just about to step out into the path of an oncoming car. And that mama screams, hey, and shouts the girl's name. She shouts her name and says, stop. That little girl goes, <laughs> and stopped. I was horrified. But that little girl just stopped. And that was beautiful. That little girl was being trained right. That little girl was being raised right. You understand? She has to learn to listen to her mother's voice. She has to learn to listen and obey instantly. You understand? There can't be any of that. Stop. I'm going to count to three. Don't make me come down there. I'm going to count one. So, I mean, by the time you're at two and a half, your little girl just got hit by a car. You understand? There can't be any of that. Don't make me come down there. You know, there's not going to be a milkshake on the way home from you if you get hit by that car. You understand? You can't do all that. 
It's got to be stop. It's got to be listen. And that child has to obey because it may be very, very dangerously important that she listen and obey one day. You understand that? It may be very, very important that she hear your voice one day and not laugh at you and expect you to count to three. You have to learn instant obedience. And faith demands this from God. Faith demands a full response. It can't be that God having to say, don't make me come down there. And it can't be you saying, well, maybe it's really your voice or maybe it's not your voice. If it's really your voice, no. No, you have to know his voice and you have to respond with full attention and instant obedience every time. Every time. Faith demands a full response from God. And that's what Abraham does. The man who begged for Sodom and Gomorrah silently gets up the next morning and starts this journey to the mountain that God says you show him along the way. Now, I don't want your picture with Isaac, but there's something to be said here for Isaac's response as well, for Isaac's trust of his father. Now, Isaac's not a little baby boy here. He's probably at least 14, maybe 15. But understand, just notice where the story goes. Isaac is obviously the stronger of the two. Abraham is at this point over 100. He's 114, whatever. And, and Isaac is younger and stronger and faster. Notice that as they make their journey toward the mountain, it's Isaac who carries the heavy stuff. It's Isaac who carries the wood. This is a young, strapping man who is old enough and strong enough at this point to make his own decision, yet he trusts his father. He goes wherever the father leads him. I think it's just so strange, though, and, and amazing that... Uh, Abraham carries two things. He carries the sharp thing, the knife, and he carries the fire. That's a father, you know. You let this boy carry all the heavy stuff, but, you know, you, you can't run with the scissors and not the fire. You know, they're going on this mountain to sacrifice him. At the same time, the father still protects him. He carries all of the things that are sharp and hot. You understand? It's, I would do that. That's a father's thing. And then the scripture says he looks up and he sees. Now, this is a very important phrase in the story because it's not the only time that Abraham looks up and sees. We're going to come back to that. But the first time he looks up and he sees. And what does he see? In the distance, on the road in front of him, he sees the mountain that God told him about. Have you ever been in that position? Where you know good and well that the road that you must walk takes you to a place that you do not want to go. Have you stood on that path before? Have you done that? I know the scripture says that if you just pray, you can move a mountain. But I want you to understand there are some mountains that are not going to move. There are some mountains that are set before you in your path, and you must walk to them. Knowing, knowing what awaits you there, you must walk that path. And this is the life of faith, too. 
Why would God lead Abraham down this path? Why would you ever have to be asked to walk a place where you don't want to go? That that's not typically what we say in church. That's not the way we describe a life with Jesus. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. That's what we sang in church when I was a kid. Is it possible that every day isn't, isn't necessarily sweeter than the day before? Is it possible that some days with Jesus, you will be asked to go a place you never wanted to go and endure darkness that you never, ever thought you'd have to see? Because Abraham looks up from the distance and he sees that dark mountain and he continues that long, slow march toward the top of it. Now, does God want him to suffer? Is God the author of suffering? Is God just trying to put Abraham through something horrible? Does God have some sort of fiendish pleasure out of making a man suffer in this way? No. No. Understand that God does not want you to suffer. God is not trying to make your life miserable. And whatever dark road you're walking this day, it is not that God just simply wants to see how much heat you can stand. It's not a test like that. He gets no pleasure out of it. In, in any way putting you through hardship. But, but understand this. God doesn't want you to suffer, but faith requires the suffering that comes from letting go of things that keep you from loving God more, keep you from loving God most. Understand, faith requires a kind of suffering. It's a suffering that comes from letting things go. And somehow in this life of faith, you're always going to be called upon to let things go. Always. Our tendency, our temptation is to cling to things, to cling to people, to hold on to the best seasons of our lives, to hold people close, to take all of God's blessings into our hands and then hold them tight. This is our temptation. But we must not do that. We must not enter into this life and live this life in such a way where we don't know how to release our grip and open our hands. Now, absolutely, Isaac is Abraham's future. Isaac is Abraham's everything. It's the promise of the past that God would make of him a great nation and is the guarantee of a future. It's the only guarantee he has, this boy that he loves. It seems like at that moment, God is demanding everything from Abraham and all that he has. Does God want him to suffer? No. No, but the faith that is required to know and love God requires Abraham to know how to let this boy go. Faith requires that. The only way that you can have hands open to receive what God will give you is to continually let things go. Open your hands. It's excruciating. It is suffering. Faith requires it. So notice how the story moves. Verse 5, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. (laughs) The boy and I will travel a little farther. We'll worship there and then, don't miss this. What does he say then? We will worship there. That's one way to put it. We'll worship there and then, what's it say? We will come right back. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. 
Abraham's not lying to the servants. He's not saying, you know, just to keep them from knowing what he's going to do. He's not, he's not trying to deceive them. He's not, you know, making them think he's going to bring Isaac back and then, you know, surprise. He's not doing that. It's just something going on in Abraham's head. He, he's trying to make sense of what doesn't make any sense. And, and, and that's important. You see, faith always takes over where understanding ends. And it doesn't make any sense that Abraham could possibly be thinking, I'm going to sacrifice this boy, but I'm still going to have him and we're going to come back. But that's what he's thinking. He's thinking that. That somehow God's promise to, to, to make of Abraham a great nation through this boy, God is not going to be unfaithful to his own promise. God is not going to make a promise and then not keep that promise. Abraham doesn't know how it's going to happen. He's going to be fully obedient to God, and he still trusts God that somehow God's going to make a way out of no way. And there's no way they're both going to come back together, but Abraham continues to say, oh, we'll be back. Yeah. Because if we don't come back together, God's not faithful to his promise. We're going to be back. You see, faith takes over wherever understanding ends. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament, the big roll call of faith in chapter 11, it explains a little bit of what Abraham was thinking. It says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, reasoning that if Isaac died... God was able to bring him back to life again. So Abraham is reasoning that God is able. Even if I kill him, God is going to bring him back to life. Abraham had that kind of faith. The book of Romans chapter 4 verse 18 says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. But somehow that makes all the sense in the world for those who believe. Sometimes against all hope, you still got to believe in hope. Faith's the only way to do that. You must find your hope in something other than your circumstances, something other than what you can see. And that's why you have to learn how to let these things go. If Abraham's hope, if his life is invested in this son, understand, you can't put all your hope in people. You can't put all of your hope, you can't invest all of your future in people. But people are fragile. People die. Our, our relationships on earth are all temporary. You can't put all your hope in people. You have to learn to put your hope in something that, that is eternal. You have to learn to put your faith in the one who does not break a promise. You have to learn to put all of your faith in God. That is why you have to learn to let everything else go. So here we go. When they arrived at the place, verse 9. Where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. He tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. It's the same response. It's the same call and it's the same response. This is how this whole story started. With God saying, Abraham, and Abraham saying, yes, here I am. But do you understand in this moment, it's very important that Abraham hear from God. In this moment, this is the girl about to run into the traffic. This is a man about to bring the knife down. It's very important that he hear God's voice now. It's very important that he hear what God's going to say next. 
You understand? Now, obedience is critical. Obedience is ingredient to faith. Obedience has to be baked into the cake of your faith. Do you understand that? It has to be. But it's not just blind obedience. It's a relationship. It's a relationship of listening. Faith is not blind obedience, but it's a relationship of constant listening and response. If it were blind obedience, Abraham would have dropped the knife. Do you understand? And that would have been obedient to what God had said. But you understand, there is real danger in hearing from God only once. If Abraham had only heard from God one time, his whole future would have ended right here on this mountain. It's not just blind obedience. It's a relationship of listening. You got to understand what God is telling you to do today. You have to listen to what he's saying to you in this moment. And you have to respond instantly, immediately. You can't stand there and bargain. You can't stand there and question whether he really means what he says. You listen You respond. This is a relationship. This is what faith is. Not just hearing from God at one point at grandma's church when you're six years old and then living the rest of your life and never going back to hear his voice again. It's listening. It's responding. Every day, every moment of your life, there is real danger in hearing from God only once. Abraham, yes, here I am. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. I love this. Verse 13. Then Abraham looked up. And saw. Okay, y'all remember last time he looked up and saw? Remember? Last time he looked up and saw, what did he look up and see? Yeah, the worst day of his life. I mean, the worst thing imaginable. Last time he looked up, he saw the mountain of sorrow, the mountain of sacrifice. He saw the worst day of his life coming at him. You understand? But what happens the next time he looks up to see? He sees the miracle of God's provision. Do you understand that? He sees the ram caught in the thicket. Now, he could not have seen that coming. He could not have predicted that. Nobody saw that coming. Do you understand? That means in the same way that you have to listen and keep listening, you have to just keep looking up. You can't begin to imagine that since today was such a horrible day that you can't look up tomorrow and see God bringing something better to you. You can't imagine that just because you got really bad news from the doctor yesterday that you won't get good news from the doctor tomorrow. You just got to keep looking up. You can't believe that you've already figured out what the, what the path holds for you. You can't always imagine that you already know how this turns out. When you're walking with God, you have no idea how this is going to turn out. You just got to keep looking up. Just keep looking up because you're going to look up today and see something different than you looked up yesterday and saw. You with me? Keep looking up. Abraham looks up and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. So he took the ram sacrifice it as a burnt offering in place of his son. So Abraham named the place Yahweh Yaira. <laughs> it means the Lord will provide. 
what started out as a, it started out as a story about God taking, didn't it? it for, for all the life of me, it looked like a story where God was about to take his life. It looked like a story where God was going to take Abraham's future. It looked like a story where God was going to take it all. And that's our fear, isn't it? That God is a God who can't be trusted. That in the end, he somehow got this rigged that he's going to take it from us. He's going to take the things we love. He's going to take our future. He's going to take our happiness. We really don't trust this God, do we? Our fear is always that he is a God who takes. <laughs> that's not this story. And that's not this God. At the end of this story, it's a whole new name. It's a whole new story. As a matter of fact, Abraham calls that place not the Lord takes. Not Abraham has to give, but God gives. God provides. On the mountain of God, he will provide. That's what Abraham walks away. That's the sermon he comes down preaching. Not about how much he had to sacrifice, but what God sacrifices. God provides. God provides. At the end of every story, you will learn that God provides. At the end of every story, you will learn that you're not the one sacrificing here. It is God who sacrifices. Because you understand, right? That in the end, there was a sacrifice required. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, the scriptures say. There was a sacrifice required, but it was not going to be Abraham's son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gives us love. God provides his son. God gives us eternal life. God gives. This passage, neither last summer or this summer, answers all of my questions. It doesn't answer all of my questions in particular, but it gives me a promise. And I would bet my life on the fact that I can get further in this life with with one promise from God than all the answers in the world. And the promise is simple. He provides. Whatever this journey requires of you, he provides. And whatever you give to him, he gives back. And multiplies. God provides. Pray with me. God, there are those in the sound of my voice who look up today and see the mountain of sorrow looming before them. And they have prayed and they would pray that the mountain would move, Lord, but the mountain's not moving. Lord, some of us today are making a dark journey up the mountain of sacrifice and sorrow. And Lord, it is a place we would rather not go. But help us, Lord, to trust the promise that even in this dark valley and even on that dark mountain, Lord, you will meet us there. You will strengthen us there. 
you may test our faith there. But whatever sacrifice is required, oh God, you yourself have made. There's nothing, Lord, in this life that we can ever give that you have not already given to us and that you will not in the end give back. You, oh God, are a gracious giver and a good father. Teach us to trust you, Lord. Teach us to trust you when life doesn't make sense. Teach us to trust you when our own future is laying at the altar and the knife is drawn. Teach us to listen to your voice and to keep listening. And teach us how to look up, to look up from our sorrow, to look up from our lives, to look up and see what you are going to do next. It's never as important what has happened today. What is important is what you are going to do next. So teach us to listen, teach us to look up, and teach us to trust. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, who died in our place.